Galatians chapter 5, reading verses 16 to 26. Let's hear the word of God. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. As the grass withers and the flower fades, we know in truth God's word endures forever. It is as he, eternal through the ages. May he bless it to us. Well, we had a break from uh, this series as we looked in the morning Uh, to uh, Christ and uh, knowing him as the eternal son of God who became flesh, who became a man to deal with our salvation. And and I think it's something to, to realize the truth of that as we come into this particular section and, and we think about the warring of the flesh against the spirit to recognize that our Lord did not have this same internal warfare that we did. He, he had to deal with sin as it confronted him, as it would have confronted Adam in the garden. He did not have this sin nature, but we do. And the Lord is keenly aware of these struggles. God is the one who is writing to us these words about the necessity of having to Walk in the Spirit. It's one of the great reasons why God, through His Son and Jesus Himself together, gave us the Holy Spirit. As much as we hear it in a lot of Christian circles, what it is to be filled with the Spirit, I do believe we sometimes miss uh, and overstep the very obvious that is set before us, particularly in this passage. So the next uh, three weeks, uh, today and the following two, we are going to be looking at this particular section. And this morning, as I noted, we're focused on verses 16 to 18 and getting that command, if you will, that imperative working in our lives that we are a people walking in the Spirit. Martin Luther, he spoke about uh, how and why Paul uh, wrote this letter and what, what he was confronting in his time. 
And we've heard uh, a number of re- uh, messages that are dealing with the, the key overall theme, and that being justification. Now, Luther wrote that Paul writes to establish the doctrine of faith, grace, forgiveness of sins, or in other words, Christ and, and sorry, Christian righteousness, to the end that we would have a perfect knowledge of the difference between Christian righteousness and all other righteousness. And and that's very distinct as we've gone through it. We have seen how man's righteousness falls short, how Christian righteousness of our own, we who are believers and are striving to be obedient and faithful to the Lord, but we fail. We know our righteousness in and of ourselves is faulty. It falls short of that same glory. But there is a Christian righteousness that is outside of us, but that is imputed to us. The Lord Jesus, His righteousness, which is true righteousness, which is the righteousness of God, accomplished in the flesh for our salvation. And Paul has written about this extensively in this letter, confronting all of those attempts that mankind exercises and all of those attempts that we as Christians sometimes exercise to promote our own righteousness as something that will merit us some measure of love and kindness from God, that will merit us some measure of forgiveness and acceptance by God. And and all along here, Paul is saying that anything that tries to come in to promote the, the merits of righteousness outside of Christ is another gospel. It is not a gospel that will save you. It is not a gospel that will make you acceptable to God in any fashion. There is only one gospel that saves sinners and that reconciles us to God. There's only one gospel that brings forth that justifying grace of God where he looks to us and declares, you are pardoned all your sins. And I accept you as righteous, not because of your righteousness, but because of the righteousness of my son that was accomplished on your behalf and is now imputed to you. It is credited to you. It comes and it covers you like a garment so that I can say with all trustworthiness, with all faithfulness, This one who believes in my son is justified. And that's the the work that God does through his son. That's the only gospel that can save you. And if you are striving in any other way to receive that forgiveness from God, that acceptance with God, it is vanity, it is empty, it is worthless. It will account for nothing. In that day of judgment. And so that's what we've seen thus far. And now Paul takes us into a a new area. However brief it is in these verses. That deals with what we call our sanctification. 
And there's reasons why he brings it up at this point. Because again, there's a problem within Christianity where we think, where we start and are tempted to rely more upon our righteousness, rely more upon our goodness and our good deeds that we do as Christians, as again somehow meriting something from God, or somehow gaining extra favor and blessing from God. And that's in the area of sanctification. And whether it's overt or subverted within our, our, our minds, whether it's very out there or inward in our thinking, even if it's latent in our thinking, we somehow think that our progress in sanctification, I'll define that word shortly, is something that is meriting God's favor and blessing in our lives. Now, to be truthful, sin will never merit anything from you, uh, for you from God, except for his displeasure. Even as a father to his children, when we sin, God doesn't stand there and say, hey, it's all right, don't worry about it. We've got it covered. Even there, he still commands us, repent, turn away from this. This is not what is to be part of your life and character. But, and this is an analogy that I often use or an example that I often use. But how many of us, when we know we've sinned against God, when we know we've fallen short of his glory, how many of us, instead of getting on our knees immediately, repenting, calling on God for that help and that grace of His Spirit to strengthen us against these sins, repenting and even confessing to others that we may have sinned against. How many of us are so much slower to doing that and much quicker to say, oh, if I'm going to overcome this, I better start reading my Bible more. I better start praying and making my life look like it's more in order. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, that orderliness of the Christian life. How many of us begin to depend on what we're doing to sanctify us? And we miss the truth. And Paul bringing us to this point and dealing with this whole issue of sanctification. What is sanctification? If you turn in your hymn books, if you can uh, turn as quick as I can, I've got it marked to page 871. I want to take you very quickly through three questions of our shorter catechism. Page 871. The first one is what I've already defined for you. It's question number 33. What is justification? And I've already spoken to you about justification. Justification is what God does to us in pardoning our sins and in accepting us as righteous for the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to us and received by faith. Justification is that. But if you look there, what is the very first line of justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace. It's what God does to us in our standing before Him. He declares, you are no longer guilty. I have no condemnation against you. For the rest of your life, here on earth, into eternity, 
There is now, therefore, no condemnation. We should be smiling and saying, Hallelujah! <laughs> really. That, that should be the thing that excites our soul the most. But it doesn't stop there. Turn the page. The next question, what is adoption? We've dealt with that already in Galatians 4. And what does it say again about adoption? Adoption is an act of God's what? Free grace. It's still grace. You did not earn this. It is again that declaration of God. Not only have I pardoned your sins and accepted you, but I declare you to be my child. I will be your father from here on and out into eternity. I am your heavenly father. Amazing, isn't it? That God would want us as one of his children. I saw a video yesterday. My wife and I were watching it. And we were crying at the end of it. It's one of those scenes where this child gets a Christmas gift. Where the home that he was staying in. And he's about 12 years old. And uh, he opens, uh, the parents give him this picture. And it's a picture of the family. He's not in it. And, and he's looking at it and saying, oh, that's nice. Do I get to keep this? And they said, no. Turn it over. And he read it. Next year, you're going to be in this picture. Because we want to adopt you. We want to make you a child in our family. Son, that, that boy had really no say in that video. But it was the act of the parents. We want you in our family. And that's what God has done for every one of us. Not because we deserve it. That's the thing about grace. Grace is undeserved kindness and goodness to an unworthy sinner. Now you get to question 35, and what do you see about sanctification? And these, these questions and answers, they're based on Scripture. Even where we are here, what do you see about sanctification? Does it say sanctification is the work of the Christian whereby they change themselves more and more into the image of God where they are changing themselves so that they're dying to sin and they're living to righteousness? Does it say that? No. What does it say about your sanctification? It is the work of God's free grace in you. It's God's grace working in you to make you more and more like that perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, where he is enabling you more and more by his grace to die to sin and to live for righteousness. It's still grace. We are involved in that work, absolutely. But you no more make yourself more holy than you are right now by what you do. God is the one who makes you holy. And he does it by his spirit. And this imperative that is before us, walk in the spirit, is, is that call for you to be mindful of who now dwells within you 
and how your life is now under his authority, his power, his supervision to that end that you will mature in that freedom and liberty that Jesus has purchased for you. Do you walk in the Spirit? That's the challenge. Do you understand what it means to walk in the Spirit? To walk in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for you? Well, the first thing you need to understand is what is that freedom that Christ has purchased for you? What is that freedom? Well, it's threefold. It's freedom from sin's power. And that's most important in this area of sanctification. We have been set free from the bondage and captivity of our soul unto sin. Sin loses its power, not its presence. It loses its power to enslave you. Jesus himself said in John 8, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. What's he saying? If your life is one that is controlled by sin, I am not present with you. But if I am with you, I have set you free free from its power. How important is that for you to know? It's important for you to know so that you don't sit there and say, well, this is just who I am. This is just something that's going to be part of my life for the rest of my life. I can't help it, so get used to it. No! (laughs) It doesn't work that way. You're walking in the Spirit, in the freedom Christ has won for you. You can overcome sin. You can put it to death. Some take a lot longer for some of us. Some... We automatically feel the freedom from it right away. But that's walking in the Spirit. The second freedom, as you see in verse 13 of chapter 5, is that freedom to lovingly serve one another. Where you want to do kind things to others. Not because you have to. Children, we're all aware of that. All of us as grown-up adults, you see us here... All of us know what it is to be forced to do something by our parents that we don't want to do. Go and give aunt so-and-so a big hug and kiss. <sighs> Show them that you love them. Show them that you're kind. And we're like, stomp our feet. We've all been there. Or some other thing. And, 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 and there's often that unwillingness that... that begins to work in our hearts against doing something that we're called to do. Jesus has given us freedom, and that's what he says there. You've been called to liberty so that through love you serve one another. There's a new love in my heart. (laughs) And that's what I'm walking in. That's the Spirit of God working in me. Let me walk in that Spirit. And third, each of these is a sermon on its own, but it, it sets us up for what it means to walk in the Spirit. The third one is the freedom. We've been set free to strive in fulfilling God's law. You see that in verse 14. 
All the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what the Spirit has done to us? The Spirit has come and He has said, I'm going to help you to strive to do God's law in your life. Not because you think you're going to earn something from God, but because this new love for God is going to translate in a new love for one another. I want to obey God's law. I want, again, remember what Christ said in John 15. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Why? Because that's the natural inclination of your heart? No, because my spirit's now in you. You've been set free and my spirit is working in you so that you will love me and obey my commandments. And why I'm saying all of that is Walking in the Spirit is making us as believers very conscious of the one who is working in us the freedoms that Christ has won for us. It isn't our own efforts that are accomplishing what these freedoms call us to. It is the Spirit of God. And here with that new inward creation that's at work. We're called to walk in the Spirit. How do you know you're walking in the Spirit? Well, do you hate sin? Notice I didn't say, have you stopped sinning? We still sin. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you no longer sin. You do. You sin every day. It's just you're not as consciously aware of your sinful habits, even as Christians, as we ought to be. The Spirit is there at work. You ever walk away from a conversation with someone and, and you just feel in your heart, oh man, I can't believe I said that. And then you start feeling that wrestling match, don't you? What should I do? And then the Spirit comes and says, repent. It starts all of that work. You know, that's the Spirit working in us. Let me walk in the Spirit. If the Spirit urges me to repent, I'm going to repent. If the Spirit urges me to call so-and-so and ask their forgiveness, I'm going to do that. Walk in the Spirit. Do you know your besetting sins? Do you know those sins that you find yourself faced with at least once a week, if not more? And they're just something that you're, you're really striving against. Well, if you know that, and you're feeling it, and you're saying in your own heart... I, I, I need to put this to death. That, that's the Spirit. That's the Spirit. And as believers, He's urging us to a holiness and to a righteousness and to a life of godliness and truth that, that is of Christ. And walking in the Spirit is knowing that and striving with the Spirit's help to put to death, to mortify those things. We're going to get into what that means more next week. But it's not what you think. Killing sin is something we are to be doing. But it's not just simply giving up something that we were doing that was wrong. It's putting on the new character. Walking in righteousness. But with all of that, what Paul focuses on very first and foremost, to make you aware of the struggle of walking in the Spirit, is that inward conflict that is before you and is going to be in you 
for the rest of your life here on earth. An inward conflict with the lust of the flesh. Do you wrestle against sinful desires? I'd be shocked if you're a Christian and you said no. Then maybe the Spirit isn't at work in you. That's a reality of the Christian life. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For verse 17, the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. This is an inward conflict that every true Christian has. I hate having to add adjectives to words that we're accustomed to saying, but to say true Christian. What is a true Christian? We want to say somebody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. We can also add to that is somebody who has conflict in their life with the lust of the flesh. That's a true Christian. We're struggling against that sin nature within us. This is a conflict. Have you noticed what it says there? It's a conflict with your flesh and the spirit who's now within you. It's not a conflict with you and yourself. But a conflict which God the spirit has taken up within you. That ought to encourage you. But it is also very specifically a Christian conflict. It's not something an unbeliever has going on in their hearts. Does that shock you? But it's the truth. Non-Christians may battle moral dilemmas. Non-Christians may battle the bottle, may battle drugs, may find themselves bringing some moral reform to their lives, but that's not the same conflict that Paul is talking about here. They can have conflicts of conscience. I can't do that. (laughs) But that's not the same conflict here. They do not have this battle that is being waged by the Spirit against their flesh. Paul writes of that. You can read it in Romans 8. If you are of the Spirit, then you're going to be able not only to confess that Jesus is Lord, but to see this warfare going on in your life. And it's one of the ways, as he goes on in Romans 8, to say, this is how you know you're a child of God. You hate the sinful nature within you. When you are... Let's, let's take an example. When you are in conflict with someone and you've said some nasty things and your first response is, oh, what a, what a jerk. God, how could I have done that? I've dishonored you and I, I've spoken evil against them. You see, the Spirit is making you see yourself before God. The non-Christian doesn't have that happening. They just look at themselves and they might say, you know, I was a jerk. But they deserved it. I can justify what I did against them because of who they are. And so they're only in conflict with themselves and with others. Here, it's the Spirit of God saying, look what you did before God. And let's get this right. See the difference? And it's an active conflict. This inward conflict isn't something that's just docile. It's active. It's going on. All the time. Thank God. He says here about the flesh. When he uses that, that, that word there. 
the, the flesh lusts against the spirit. You see, the, the conflict here is, is my old nature is saying, who has come in and put me in bondage? <laughs> the spirit of God is the one who has come in. The grace of God at work and pouring his spirit into your heart. Warring against the flesh. That flesh is that sin nature that you've inherited from Adam. By which we, in thought, word, and deed, we rebel against God. We break his law. We commit unrighteous acts. We, we sin. We sin because we have a sin nature. That flesh. And it has lusts. <laughs> It has desires that it wants to be fulfilled. Your inward man wants your tongue to lie. And the spirit's there in conflict against it saying, don't lie. That's the warfare. Your inward man has these lusts for human desires. And the spirit is saying, no, there's a purity that must be maintained and They're in conflict. And the Spirit there, the Holy Spirit, He is the one who has come in and He has worked in us to give us a new heart, a new mind, a new soul. Where in the inward man, this new life in Christ has been created. You all know 2 Corinthians 5.17, don't you? If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. There's new life in you. And that is because of the Spirit. And He has taken up immediately a warfare against that sin nature within you. He's very active in your soul, opposing the flesh that is in you. And and Paul says it in another passage in 1 Corinthians 6. He says it in a way to remind us who we are in Christ. When he writes at the end of chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, when he talks about fleeing sexual immorality, fleeing even gluttony and things like that that offend the body. But this isn't just an inward spiritual warfare that, that hides within us. It's one that comes out in our lives. And that's why he says there in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. The Spirit is warring to remind you who you are. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is something that, that as an act of warfare is going to transform you, not just inwardly, but outwardly. And it's a good thing that it's the Spirit who is opposing the flesh. <clears throat> it's good on this end. They're not equals. <laughs> the Spirit is the Spirit of God. Uh, he's almighty, omniscient. He, he knows everything about us. He knows what we have even forgotten about ourselves. But he knows and he's at work. The lust of the flesh can be subdued. But the lust of flesh can still subdue us. 
And if you want to know what those lusts of the flesh are, you read verses 19 to 21. And that's not even a full list. But it's a horrifying list to to read and to say, well, Christians don't do this. Oh, really? (laughs) My, my. Christians, Christian ministers. In the last decade alone, some of the horrible things that have come. The lusts of our flesh are being strongly influenced by the world and by Satan. They're not eliminated from us. And understanding that we have this inward conflict, I want to encourage you that you have the Spirit who's waging this warfare. Without the Spirit, none of this would, would, would succeed. You would be failing in that conflict. But it's a reality we still fail. That, that's why if you, you look there, you see Paul even saying in verse 17, the contrariness of the spirit against the flesh is there so that you do not do the things that you wish. Uh, Paul speaks about that in Romans 7, where he talks about dealing within his own life of the, the evils that he, in his own will and mind, he's saying, I don't want to do this. Why did I do it? The good that I know I should do. I want to do that. Why am I not doing it? Well, that's the spirit engaged in that warfare in your heart. And I ask you, and I think this is an important question. Do you see that conflict in your life? It, it, It should be there. Because we're not rid of it. This side of glory. Some of the ways you can tell is when you say... After certain situations, you sit there and you think, man, I wish I was more merciful. I had that opportunity to do good and I didn't. God forgive me. I wish I was more merciful. I wish I was more joyful. (laughs) Man, if I was going through the sufferings that some of the people, even within our congregation, have to endure, I don't know how I would be. (laughs) I wish I was more humble. (laughs) That I could listen to people critique and even criticize things within my life without anger rising up within me. That's the conflict. And if you see it, thank God for it. Otherwise you'd be walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. Thank God for it. Don't let your conscience become seared by it. Don't justify it. Lay it before God and say, God, help me. Help me by your spirit to overcome. And that's where we're left with in these verses. In verse 16 and 18 that surround verse 17. Even with that struggle and that conflict going on. There's an inward resolve that we are brought to here in these verses. And that is, I'm going to walk in the spirit. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, walk in obedience to the Ten Commandments. Now that will come. But don't try to cover over this conflict by just obeying more. Or trying to perfect your own righteousness. No, walk in the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the one who has been poured out into you to help you, to be your strength. He's already written God's law upon your heart and mind. To the end, as we're going to hear very soon... The the Ten Commandments, when you hear that and you hear that 
that law of God being read and it strikes your heart. That's the Spirit saying, did you hear that? Let's repent of this sin. Let's come to Christ. Let's ask God's forgiveness. And let's ask for the strength of the Spirit for me to walk in these ways. It's the Spirit who will weigh on your mind and your will and your affections to put away the sins that are mentioned in verses 19 to 21. The sexual sins and the idolatry and the hatred. Those realities in our life. The Spirit will do this. And how will He do it? He will do it, verse 22, by working His fruit in you. He doesn't just simply slay the dragon and let it sit there and rot. You know what happens when you kill an animal and you do nothing with it? It sits there and the stench begins to fill the air. Think of that with sin. There's something that has to come in to remove the stench. And it's his, his fruit. The love of God. The joy of the Lord. The peace of God. Etc., etc., and as you're walking in the Spirit, do you see what the, what the outcome is in verse 16? The flesh will be increasingly subdued in your life. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because His grace is working in you in the power of the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Verse 18. Being led by the Spirit. Yes, you will be frustrated with your sins. Yes, you will see more sin in your life. Yes, you will feel defeated at times. Yes, you will feel the weight of even past sins being recalled to your mind. And you know how, how many times, I think three times in the Psalms, David says, God, do not remember the sins of my youth. And as you're being led by the Spirit, and as you're dealing with that inward conflict, do you know what else the Spirit is doing as He's leading you? He's taking you to Christ. He's saying, don't try to justify yourself. Go to Christ. He will cleanse you. He will bring you forgiveness that you will know God has said, I have forgiven you. I am washing you clean of this. This is not an unrighteousness that I behold. Go to Christ for that enduring mercy of the Father. Think about this in in light of the foot washing in John 13. Remember what happened when he came to Peter. And Peter at first refused it. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. In other words, he is saying, look, if you don't want me to wash you clean, you will not be clean. Then Peter, in his exuberance, he goes and he says what? Wash me all over, from head to toe, not just my feet. I want to be fully clean. And Jesus said, you don't need that. You're clean already. You need your feet clean. And that's the ongoing ministry of our Lord to us every day. You think, why is that so important? Because I can tell you as a pastor, I often meet Christians who sin and they say to me, I'm not a Christian. Why? Because you think Christians can't sin? That's a fallacy. That's a lie. But if you're a Christian, 
You know the one who will wash your feet again today. You come to him for cleansing. What does he say in 1 John 1? If you confess your sins, I will be faithful. I will be just. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you from your unrighteousness. You see, there's the Christian walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, having that resolve to live life by faith in the one who has loved you and given his life for you. That's our testimony. And that's why he says there, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're no longer under condemnation. You're under grace. Be led by the Spirit. And you will be led to Christ. I ask you, as we think on these things, and even as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, is that your testimony? In Christ, I am walking in the Spirit, being led by Him. Don't let this day go by without knowing what it is to be in Jesus Christ. Let us pray.